0: of specific revelation communicate to me in such a way that I know you as God are communicating to me in an unmistakable way so that I can say God has told me the future step I should make okay I would submit we don't see that modeled for us in scripture and that would be the wrong way to pray and and I think sometimes we kind of fall into praying that way But I want to to push and say we we want to work hard at Scripture guiding us to think how we relate our personal responsibility and decision-making and our understanding of the sovereign purposes of God. I think what Scripture would lead us to do is to pray something like this. Lord, as I look at the information in front of me, I have a decision to make. You might even say, and Lord, I really hate making decisions. I don't, I don't like doing that. But, but here I am. You're the sovereign God and you've put me right here. Okay, I'm reflecting God's sovereignty here. Now I have a, I have a responsibility to make a decision. And I want to make a decision that's honoring to you, that glorifies you. Um, would you give me the wisdom necessary? What information do I need? Is my heart in the right place? Lord, and probably in five years time I'll look back and I might have a new perspective of this moment in my life. But here's where I'm at. What information do I need yet? Who are some godly people who might be helpful to have in my life to give me another perspective? What, what, What things are at work in my heart? What sinful desires? Am I fearing something in the future? Am I wanting to control the future so this decision is a safe decision with a guaranteed outcome? And to explore some of these heart issues with the Lord... Um, Lord, am am I really trusting you here? Am I trusting your word? And so I think that's the way to pray. Lord, grant me the wisdom. Grant me a heart of faith and submission to you at this point. And of course now I'm thinking about larger decisions, the decisions of substance and consequence. Um, Maybe it's a financial acquisition, a house to buy, a car to buy. Maybe it's a life decision, who to marry, um, it's a, maybe a job decision or a, or a, or a transfer decision, um, you know, should I quit my job at Qantas and go to seminary in LA, that's a big decision to make, um, and I had lots of discussions, particularly with my dad, wisdom discussions, how do I know this is a good thing, is, is this wise? There's a lot I can't tell in the future. I'm not sure where all the money will come from. Should I have all the money saved up for seminary before I leave? And all the kind of the questions I explored with my dad. And kind of walking through what, what would this decision, a wise decision in faith, look like. Um, let's go to some other passages. 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How much should you give? Uh, What what is God's preceptive will? God's preceptive will is that when you give, you give not reluctantly, not under compulsion, But he doesn't tell you the amount. How do you know? Well, each of you will make a decision in your heart. There's wisdom to apply, but God doesn't tell you. He does tell us some things, but not everything. Finally, 1 Corinthians 7.39 Now, I'm going here for one reason, um, but there's a, a really good secondary reason that, that is good here. Um, many people... Okay, this is a bit of a rabbit trail since we're in this verse. Many people, when they talk about who you should marry and that you should, marry, should only marry a believer, will go to the passage on being unequally yoked. Um, I think that's an ambiguous passage, particularly as you apply it to marriage. It could be a fair application, but it is a little ambiguous. This verse here, First um, Corinthians 7 and verse 39, is the slam dunk, absolute clear statement that a believer is in sin in marrying an unbeliever. Okay, this is, take it to the bank, really obvious verse. Um, but we're going here for another reason. Verse 39, a wife is bound to a husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry... To whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Okay, I just was talking about the only in the Lord phrase, but look at the first phrase. She is free to marry, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Wow. Now there's lots of wisdom there that you need to apply. But notice how, how Paul is kind of waiting that decision. Have you applied wisdom and then ultimately do you wish to marry this person? Now, some people will say to me, "Um, Pastor Rodney, uh, I believe God wants us to get married. Or, I believe we should be married. And I might say, okay, let's talk about that for a bit. The conversation is longer and more gentle. But but one of the things is you don't know if it's God's will you get married. Because one of you might be in a car crash and die. You simply don't know the future. But when you make the statement, I believe it's God's will, we get married, what have you actually said about your understanding of the process of decision making and how that relates to the future? It would be better to say, as we prayed about it, as we have sought counsel, we believe it's wise and good for us to pursue marriage. That's a true statement and something we can rejoice in, but we do not know the future. And some of the ways we talk about decision-making is reflecting something about our view of how God directs us and how we think about the future. So just some summary thoughts about how we should walk. Um, Go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 15 Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Be wise in how you walk, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And just one other passage in James 4.13. Another guide for how we should think and speak. Because the way we speak reflects something of the way we think. James 4 verse 13. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say if the Lord wills we will live and do this or do that. As it is best. As it is you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows to do the right thing whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin. So here's some specific guidance. And I and, and here's I think a commonality in the first century Christians might tend to say something like we're going to go do this and we're going to do that. We're going to get married. We're going to buy this house. We're going to pursue this career where to go and travel there no rather we should say something like if the lord wills we plan to go and do this if the lord should allow here is our intention if the lord sees fit to work it out we think this is a good direction to go in So, this is the the guidance we have from Scripture and how to bring together a confidence in God's sovereign rule over all things and our responsibility. God sees all. He is the infinite, holy God. He not only sees all, He's decreed all, but it is not for us to know that. But God's decree, God's sovereign rule, God's glorious purposes works. And is compatible with his requirement, the responsibility we have, the accountability we have in how we relate to him. So I've been talking more on the decretive will side. And I want to just go back and talk a little on the the preceptive will side. I want to go back and talk a little about the decretive will of God. And then swing back around for some more summary comments. Because if we make decisions and ignore the decretive will of God, or ignore that there is a decretive will of God, we run into a whole different set of problems than if we try to figure out what God's decretive will of God and minimize that personal responsibility wisdom process. So what's the decretive will of God? That according to God's decrees or his definite intentions, he accomplishes his purposes and his will according to his goodness, According to his wisdom, according to his eternal purposes, for his eternal glory. Daniel 4.35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will. So notice the lead up. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. They don't have strength. They don't have wisdom. They don't have power. They don't have strategy. They don't have the the, the quantity. Nothing that humans do are able to dissuade, overcome, circumvent, complicate, prevent all the inhabitants of the earth and all their powers. We might say the president with his button on a nuclear bomb. Nothing God does according to all that he wills among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God, I hold you accountable. Give an account for your actions. Give an account for what has happened in this world. So that's Daniel 4.35. How do we live in light of this irrevocable, powerful, immovable, insurmountable, uncircumventable will of God. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to go to a few verses here and see how Jesus uses this glorious fact of God's sovereignty for our comfort and wisdom. Matthew 10 and verse 29. This is in the the context of having no fear. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Fear not. Boy, decision-making can be very perplexing. You know, our hearts can be filled with fear as we think about critical decisions we make to buy this house, what will happen to the stock market? What will happen to the housing market? What happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? This looks like a good career move now, but, uh, but what happens in a year? Because this could happen and that could happen. We would be without the job and that would have been the worst decision I could have made. So the comfort here is not God has a plan for your life. Find the direct line, call him up. Wait for the email or text message from God. Do this next. That's not where we find comfort. Where do we find comfort? As you go through life and as you seek to exercise wisdom and trusting in the Lord, nothing that happens in your life is somehow outside of God's purposes and control and power. And that is a key foundation for steadiness. It's a confidence that we have as we make decisions let's go to matthew chapter 6 see what else jesus has to say here to comfort us when we are bewildered with the complexity and the difficulty of life how many times have you prayed lord i don't know what to do if only you could tell me what the future is if only you could tell me if i make this decision That will be the definite outcome. Or if I make this decision, this will be the definite outcome. God, why do you make this so difficult for us? I think we've all prayed that, haven't we? Okay, let's look at Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Let me just pause there for a moment. Notice Jesus' application. We look at a bird, and we see it fly out of the tree, you know, goes to our bird feeder, get some grain, and I'm like, hey, that's Henry's bird feeder. He bought the bird feed. He put the bird feed in the bird feeder. Didn't Henry feed the bird? Or, I see the bird fly out of the nest and land in the grass and so pick, pick up some seeds. Well, the bird's just eating the seed that's in the grass. I'm observing reality, but I'm not observe, observing all of reality. What does Jesus say? The foundation for us not to be anxious is because our Heavenly Father feeds them and we can't figure out how all that works together but there's a compatibility can i say with the between the free will of the bird searching out food and the sovereign rule of god verse 27 and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life and why are you anxious about clothing Consider the leaves of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so closed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Okay, pause there for a minute. Why are there beautiful flowers this summer? We could look at the biology, seasons, rain, the kind of plant it is, the minerals in the soil. You know, why the flowers is this color instead of that color, I think hydrangeas is that is that the plant beside our house i don't know the colors i've got two fingers two thumbs and neither are green i think it's a hydrangea you're you're correct anyway we're we're having some conversation at our home the last week and if you put different things in the soil it can change the color of the flower right thank you julie yeah i got it right um so so we can say well didn't we can, we can chemically analyze why this flower is blooming. But if, if that's what we say, we are not honoring God because God is the ultimate cause behind that flower blooming. That specific flower or this specific flower. That's what Jesus is saying. And it's so significant that that is to be the guide for us. So the end of verse 30... Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Notice how faith in the sovereign, decreed plan of God affects the way we live in ambiguity. Well, well hang on, where's, the, where's my next amount of food coming from? How do I know whether I'll have clothes to clothe my family next year? that these statements about the nature of God don't remove the ambiguity, but it does orient our heart in the midst of this ambiguity. Verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, Jesus is not saying, throw out the Proverbs, you don't need to worry about planning for the future. Notice Jesus is not saying that. We are to understand what it is to pursue wisdom in this life. But our decision making, the way we move through a day, is not to be dominated by anxiousness. And the way we can be there is by trusting in the sovereign God who decrees all things. And that is compatible with our human responsibility and the requirement for us to exercise wisdom. So, God is sovereign over all circumstances. And we have to draw great comfort from that. Okay, I was going to talk about his sovereignty over people and salvation. um, But... um, let's just go to one here, Uh, Proverbs 21. Let's go to Proverbs 21. Okay, Proverbs 21 verse 1. Now, what's the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs is King Solomon writing to his sons so that they would wisely rule. One of his sons is going to be king. His other sons we might call princes. or or men in influence and leadership in society. So Solomon is writing this book so that his sons, his family, and his daughters, but the particular focus is his sons uh, in their royal roles, would live in wisdom. Look at verse 21. Sorry, chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. You know, we could read that if you just pluck that out of the Bible and go, you know what? Who needs wisdom? Because whatever you decide, God's making you decide that anyway, so just do whatever you decide. Don't even try. Why, why stress about your next decision? Because God's doing it, right? No, that's not the way we read that. You are to exercise humility. You're to live in the fear of the Lord. you need to, to exercise your heart and to mind, to diligently pursue wisdom your whole long life. And as you seek to diligently exercise wisdom... God is at work and you can't discern exactly what is going on there. We don't have an x-ray machine to track our meandering thoughts, experiences, influences, and then, and then something here. Okay, he, he, God injected this thought here and God injected this thought here. We don't. We just can't tell that. Now, sometimes we can... Be doing something, it might go like this. You might be going meandering down a, a thought process, and a scripture might come to mind. You might say, "Wow, don't I have an in, in, immense intellect?" That scripture came to my mind. I'm impressed with my ability to remember scripture. Or we might say, "Ah, oh, it's God's word. God's word came to my mind. Here's something to consider. Thanks, Lord, for bringing Your word to my mind." I mean, I think we can, in those instances, very much acknowledge the work of God's Spirit. In bringing scripture to our mind. Now we have an ability to take that scripture and completely distort it. There's an interpretive... Once that scripture enters our mind, there's an interpretive process. There's an application process we go through. But we can certainly give thanks to the Lord for bringing scripture to our hearts and minds. So Proverbs 21.1 is a, I think, a tremendous verse kind of zeroing in again on this idea that God's purposes and his sovereignty is compatible with human responsibility and the need to exercise wisdom. Okay, well, I want to look at some practical implications. Well, it's all practical, but I'm thinking um, just working this out a little more. As as we are faced with the complexity and the ambiguity of life, life can be very frustrating on so many levels. Um, And I think, I don't know that I've met a Christian, maybe a, a human, I'm trying to think of the conversations I've had, but certainly I'm going to say Christian. I don't think I've met a Christian who hasn't said something like, I wish I knew what God's plan is. I wish I knew what God's going to do next. Right? We have this instinct to want to know the future. We have an instinct to want to know like God knows. But as we read through scripture, we see time and time again, the example we're given is not that Christians should seek to know like God knows. But we're to trust God as he's revealed himself and live before him as we see modeled in scripture. God does not reveal to us the time when we will die. He does not reveal to us whose name is written in the book of life and who isn't. But we crave to know the future. We crave to control the future. And I think when it comes to this particular issue of decision making we, we need to I think be very self aware of this in our hearts numerous men have pointed out that Satan's great temptation um, and, and presently I think the allure of the occult is, 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 is a reflection of the human tendency to seek for ways to know beyond the boundaries that God has established. And so I think one of the things that's helpful to pray, Lord, I've got a big decision to make. And it would be really good if you'd send me an email. I don't know how many times, or a text. I don't know how many times I've said that to the Lord. Lord, it'd be really helpful if you would just tell me what the next step is. But in your goodness and love for me, that's not the way you do it. And I have to tell myself that over and over and over again. Because when I say I'm kind of groan a little, complain and to God a little, Lord, it'd be really good if you could tell me what the next step was. What am I saying? God, I don't like the way you've designed things. And and this and I have to repent of that often. Lord, that's not the way you've designed things. Your your good purposes is not removing ambiguity. But the process of decision-making, the complexity of life, is the arena that God uses to mature us, to humble us, to keep us going back to his word, to keep us repenting, to keep us trusting in him, keep us depending upon his sovereign purposes and plans. So just um, some implications here. First implication, realize your temptation to want to see into the future to control the future and to be like God. You might need to tell yourself, my desire to know the future is connected to my desire to be God and to be like God. We must rest in the truth. This is Deuteronomy 29:29. 29, 29. You've heard it, let me read it. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do all the words of the Lord. There are lots of secret things that belong to the Lord, and God has not given us the responsibility. He's not given us the obligation. In fact, it's His plan; those things remain secret, and it's His plan that we live now in light of the directions He's given, and that we're to pursue Him in faith and wisdom. Implication two: All people will certainly be held accountable for their every action. Don't try and excuse away personal responsibility or your sin and blame God for that. God holds us accountable for how we apply the wisdom we have, how we respond in faith in the circumstances we're in. Implication number three. Do not resent your present circumstances nor the demand for a decision, but remind yourself that indeed God has a mighty and mysterious plan. Let me read Romans 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so many times in decision making, we have this reflex. God, are you in for me here? Like, could you have made this decision just a little bit easier, please? God's like, no, no, I, I'm not. I really, I've really made this this difficult because I love you. You're like, oh. And, and we need to keep going back to the scriptures like this to soften our hearts. In the midst of difficult decisions. And that's one of the reasons he gives them to us. To soften our hearts. Implication number four. Now, maybe I could do a number of lessons on this, but I'm going to say it. Because I think it's important. Our ignorance, our naivete, our lack of wisdom, and even our sin will not somehow prevent God from doing his work in our lives. It's not like God has this A1 plan, and our job is to figure out from God what the next step is. And if we fail in any one of those steps, we, we get off tier one plan, God's plan for our lives, and we're in like seconds. Yeah, your life could have been a whole lot better, but you made that dumb decision back there and... You're just on, like, your life's doomed for the rest of your life. Isn't the Apostle Paul a great example of that? Paul can't rewind the clock. He can't go, he can't undo his persecution of the church. But God, in his amazing sovereignty, takes the Apostle Paul. And it's not like he extracts Paul from reality, But he takes Paul and all his experiences and redeems that. So the Apostle Paul's ministry, we can say from this perspective, is shaped and influenced by the sin committed by Paul. God used Paul's failure and Paul's sin in such a way to influence the effectiveness and the dynamic of Paul's ministry. So to bring these things together in just two scriptures, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, here's here's the emphasis on what we're called to do, to live before the Lord in wisdom, not being able to predict or divine the future, divine God's will. Ecclesiastes 11, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days, give a portion to seven. Or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will be. Don't have any control over that. Verse four He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Notice, if you try to predict the future, This is different than saying wisely and prudentially consider the future. But if you try to live in dependence upon a prediction of the future, you will be gripped in inactivity. And you'll end up with no harvest. Verse 5. As you do not know the way the spirit comes into the bones in the womb or of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Notice the implication here. God is doing. He is working. But you can't see that. You can't predict that. So live this way. Live with wisdom. Go through the day seeking to honor the Lord. You can't predict the future. Just be faithful with today. God is doing something. It is secret. One other verse I want to go to, and that is Proverbs 16. And then we're done. I'd encourage you to go back and well read all of Ecclesiastes. um, But certainly... Ecclesiastes 11, um, Proverbs 16 and verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answers of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man appear in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Here it is. Seek to be faithful. Exercise wisdom. Trust in the sovereign purposes of God. And if you distort in one way or the other, you're going to end up going astray from the way the scriptures direct us in how we're to live. Don't minimize the sovereignty of God. Don't distort the sovereignty of God in such a way that you minimize your personal responsibility or accountability. Don't maximize your personal accountability and the choices you make in such a way that minimizes the sovereign role of God in all things. These things are compatible. The scripture presents them as compatible. And when we see them as compatible, we are most fitted to live in the world like God has designed us to live. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, Help us, I pray, to trust you. Oh, that we would live a dependence upon you. The the glory.